Tales of intrigue, adventure, and the mysterious occult that will stir your imagination and make your very blood run cold. This is Dark Adventure Radio Theater, featuring your host, Lester Mayhew. Today's episode, The Curse of Yig, by Zelia Bishop with H.P. Lovecraft. Since the days of the Garden of Eden, mankind has held the snake as a unique embodiment of primal fear. When a young settler crosses the windswept plains of Oklahoma with his wife, he's forced to confront his irrational terror of snakes. But local legends of an Indian snake god stoke his anxieties until they border on madness. Will he come to his senses, or will he discover the true nature of snakes to be far more frightening than anything he ever imagined? But first, a word from our sponsor. Friends, do you know that a producer of successful musical comedies once stated that every laugh is worth $1,000? How much does a grouch cost a man or a woman who has it? It costs them everything. Happiness, contentment, friends. Do not carry around an indigestion grouch. More careful selection of food, proper mastication, and the chewing of Beckwith's mentholated Sensen gum will go far toward keeping your digestion in good working order. And your laugh will spread sunshine and gain friends. And it's loaded with energy-boosting pure cane sugar. So kids love it too. Sanitary foil-wrapped packs with five sticks each fit neatly in your pocket. They're also great to hand out to trick-or-treaters, leaving the kitties with sparkling clean teeth. Better than a trip to the dentist. For fresher breath and a happier mood, chew Beckwith's mentholated scents and gum. Buy a pack today. And now, Dark Adventure Radio Theater presents The Curse of Yig. Excuse me, I'm here to see Dr. McNeil. I have an appointment. And you are? Mr. Kimball. Roger Kimball. Oh, have a seat, won't you? I'll let him know you're here. Dr. McNeil, uh, your four o'clock is here? Yes, yes, here. You can return these to the patient files. And remind Dr. Lebo that we're running a psychiatric hospital here, not a carnival sideshow. Yes, sir. Uh, your visitor? Ah, right. Uh, uh, show him in. Yes, sir. If you'd follow me... Dr. McNeil, this is Mr. Kimball. Sorry, looks like I'm catching you at a bad time. No, no, no. It's a welcome break from the routine, I assure you. Uh, would you care for a cup of coffee, Mr. Palmer? Can... Oh, uh, yes, that would be lovely. A milk and sugar, if you don't Not mind. a problem, sir. Sit, sit. So, what can I do for you, Mr. Kimball? I, I had been hoping that I might be able to talk with you about an Indian legend. I'm an ethnographer. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. You wrote to me. You're looking into the Yig legend, eh? Yes, sir. 
I have here a letter of introduction from Mr. Blakely, the Indian agent to the Wichita, and um, other credentials. Mm. Mm -hmm. Blakely, yes. Mm. I've been finding it a challenge to unearth specifics about this yig and the accompanying lore. Ah, yig. The half-human father of serpents. Several ethnologists here in Oklahoma have tried to connect it with Quetzalcoatl, but I don't think any of them have traced the intermediate step so well. You've done remarkable work for a man as young as you seem to be. Thank you, sir. So, what exactly is it I can do for you? Well, sir, I spoke to several people about this Yig legend. Old-timers, mostly. Your name came up in association more than a few times. I see. No one wanted to talk to me about it. Major Moore seemed to shudder at the idea. I have some quite ambiguous reports of a tribe called the Kitsawi and a harvest ritual honoring this yig. Do you? Reports say drums seem to play day and night in some kind of... Here you are, sir. Uh, thank you. Dr. McNeil? Thank you, Mr. Palmer. Would you please close the door on your way out? Yes, sir. So, as I said, your name kept coming up. And... References to a terrible relic that you had. I don't suppose old Major Moore or any of the others told you what it is I have here? No, sir. Hmm. They don't like to talk about it, and neither do I. It's very tragic and very horrible, but that is all. There's nothing supernatural about it. So there is something you can show me? There is. There's a story about it that I'll tell you after you see it. A challenging and sad story. It shows the potency that belief has over some people. I'll admit, there are times when I've felt a shiver that's more than physical. But in daylight, I set all that down to nerves. <laughs> I'm not a young fellow anymore. <laughs> oh, no, sir. To come to the point, the thing I have is what you might call a victim of Yig's curse. A physically living victim. What? You, you mean... We uh... don't let the bulk of the nurses see it. Although... Most of them have probably heard rumors that it's here. There are just two steady old chaps whom I let feed it and clean out its quarters. It used to be three, but good old Stevens passed on a few years ago. Suppose I'll have to break in a new group pretty soon, for the thing doesn't seem to age or change much. And we old boys can't last forever. So this relic, it's a patient here? Mm. I'm not sure that patient is quite the right word. We do our best to provide care, but... Sometimes one finds cases that are simply beyond standard medicine. Did you notice that single ground glass basement window over in the east wing when you came up the drive? I can't say I did. Hmm. That's where it is. I'll take you there. I suppose there's no point in procrastinating. After you. It's just up ahead. If I may make a suggestion, you needn't make any comment. Just look through the movable panel in the door. When you're done, close the panel. Then I'll tell you the story. Well, as much as I've been able to piece together. Here it is. Room B116. Sometimes that'll rouse it. there. What is that? Tell me what exactly you saw. Be as specific as you can. 
At first, I didn't see anything. There was just that smell. Then something moved on the straw floor. It was... It was like a human being, lying on its belly, but it had no clothes. Why do you... We've tried any number of times. Nothing takes. No hair either. Its back seemed very rough or... or Squamous? Is that the word? Sort of scaly? Around the shoulders, it was speckled and brownish. The head seemed rather flat. And then it looked up at me. Uh, beady little black eyes. They fastened themselves on me. Yes, it does that. What? What is it? Come with me. Back to my office. I'll do my best to explain it to you. Palmer, clear away the coffee, won't you? I think Mr. Kimball has had enough stimulation. Oh, you showed him the... And that'll um... be all for today, Mr. Palmer. Yes, sir. Have a seat in the easy chair. Do you mind if I smoke, doctor? Oh, I recommend it. Here, have a fleur-de-lis. Calm your nerves. Where to begin? Well, you come to know about Yig. Yes, Yes, yes. Snake god of the older, now extinct, Plains tribes. You've probably concluded that it's the primal source of the Aztec Quetzalcoatl, or the Mayan god Kukulkan. Mm-hmm. Well, the few accounts we have describe it as a semi-anthropomorphic being of a capricious nature. Never wholly evil, mind you, and actually often well disposed towards those who paid him and his children proper respect. Yes, that's in line with my research. Now, here in Oklahoma, the legends of the Kitsawi say in the autumn he becomes abnormally ravenous. August through October, there was a time when drums would be pounding week in and week out in the Pawnee, Wichita, and Caddo country. You know the area. Indeed. I've been doing field work out that way the last few months. You ever see one of these? Looks a bit like an Aztec death whistle. It does. But this was made by a Kitsawi medicine man. It's made to keep Yig's children, snakes, at bay, so no one could accidentally hurt one. Interesting. To protect the snakes from people, not the people from the snakes. Exactly. The Kitsawi believed it best if the snakes could be avoided. There was an intense fear of Yig extracting vengeance on any who scorned him or hurt his children. It's said that Yig would torture his victim before turning him into a spotted snake. This is the kind of information that I've been looking for, but until now no one's been willing to tell me anything about Yig. In the old days of the Indian Territory, Yig wasn't the secret it is now. But the Kitsawi, they're one of those tribes that hasn't thrived since contact with Europeans... A century ago, their legends and autumn ceremonies were more widely known than they are now. So what changed? Everything changed with the land rush days of 89. Some extraordinary incidents were rumored, and then substantiated by what seemed to be hideously tangible proofs. I don't follow. The Kitsawi said that the new white men did not know how to get on with Yig, and afterward the settlers came to take that theory at face value. Nowadays, no old-timer in central Oklahoma can be induced to breathe a word about the snake god, except in vague hints. No offense, sir, but you seem to be embracing this tradition of vague hints. <laughs> I apologize. You see, the only truly authenticated horror had been a thing of pitiful tragedy rather than of bewitchment. 
Are you talking about the thing we saw in the... <clears throat> it began when Walker Davis and his wife Audrey left Arkansas to settle in the newly opened public lands in the spring of 1889. They headed into the country of the Wichitas, north of the Wichita River, in what is at present Caddo County. There is a small village called Binger there now. Ah, yes, I've been there. There's a large Indian mound not far from the town. Yes, yes, there is. Clearly, you can picture the scene. You're gonna have to have a look at Maisie's left hoof. She's gonna throw that shoe. Yeah, all right. I'll give it a gander when we can for the night. Hush, you! He must smell something. Wait! What's that? What? Way out yonder. Reckon it's another wagon? Nah, nah, it, it's what... Well, I reckon you're right. A, a, a wagon and a team. They look to be stopped. Wonder if they need help. Hello there! I think I see someone. Maybe they hear you. Come on, hip! Audrey, looky there. Them's his... Negroes? What are they doing out here? Well, let's go and talk to them. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, they've seen us now. Sides, talking to somebody besides you would be a blessing. Howdy there. Uh, howdy. H- howdy. Ain't you a welcome sight? Y'all are, uh, settlers too? Yes, sir. We're boomers. I figure if President Harrison says y'all can settle on free land if he gets yourselves out to Oklahoma, that's about as good a deal as we's ever like to see. Huh. Oh, 160 acres. Figure we ought to be able to make something out of that. <laughs> Mighty fine country out here. Soil looks good. That it do. <laughs> we seen a lot of other settlers when we first set out, but once we broke away from the crowd, we ain't hardly seen nobody out this way. Pleased to make your acquaintance. I'm Joe Compton. My wife, Sally. Walker Davis. My wife, Audrey. How'd you do? A pleasure. You look a little surprised there. We just ain't used to seeing... Colored uh, folks. No, no. Oh, come on now. Well, yes, you're the first we've seen since we left Arkansas. Arkansas? That's where we came from. (gasps) Did you now? Yes, ma'am. Up above Jonesbury. We lived there a little spell after Joe here got out of the service. Saw your cavalry jacket there. Oh, you must be one of them, uh, what they call them, Aud? Buffalo soldiers. Yes, ma'am. Ninth Cavalry. Well, don't that beat all. Black fellers fighting red fellers. <laughs> hey, you see any action against them? Yes, sir. I did. Joe don't like to talk a lot about the Indian Wars. Of course not. He won't even tell me. Hush now, woman. Them days is behind me. We seen a few Indians out this way, but they all seem pretty nice. Almost like regular folks. Me and Sally here, we was ready for somewhere new. Uh, us too. Folks is saying there's places in Oklahoma where black folk can live without no one paying no mind to them being black. There's whole towns for us. Tullahassee and Redbird and Langston. Well, how about that? Can't figure as it matters to us. A good neighbor's a good neighbor. I like the sound of that. We're ready to have our own genuine Oklahoma homestead. And we got our first youngin' on the way. Oh, congratulations. That's wonderful. What are you do? Around about the 4th of July. Oh, don't pay him no mind. His name's Wolf. Wolf? 
Are you a sweet old fella? The trail been treating you all right? Could be worse. I'll be happy when we get there. How about you? Well, old Mazer here's about to throw it. Uh-huh. Snake! Snake! There! Where? There! Where? No, where? Easy there. That's just a stick. See? See? Nothing to be afraid of. Sorry, I I, I just, uh... Never you mind, Walker. Joe, put that gun away. Yes, ma'am. The sun's getting low. Reckon we ought to make camp, get a fire going. It's about that time. Oh, do you, uh, reckon we might want to head down another... uh... No, I don't. Right here will do me fine. Mr. and Mrs. Compton, would you care to join us for supper tonight? Um, well, I, um... Joe? Right kind of you to offer. We'd like that very much. Oh, that was real nice, Joe. Thank you, ma'am. And Mrs. Davis, we sure did appreciate your meal. I'll just be glad when we can build ourselves a cabin and I can cook in a kitchen again. Mmm, an oven to bake some bread in. Look here, I just wanted to say I was sorry again for giving y'all the start today. See, I I got this thing uh, about snakes. Had it ever since I were young. When I was a wee fella, my mammy took me to the county fair, see, and and there was this old Indian woman, a Cherokee, I think she was, and she'd tell you your future for a penny. So I gave her my penny, and she grabbed me with these shrivelly old hands and looks me right in the eyes. She were quiet a spell, and then she says, You afraid of snakes, boy? I couldn't say nothing, so I just nodded. That's good, she says. So then I asks, why's that? She looks at me real hard, and then she says, it's a snake that's gonna bring about your end. I'm just a little critter, real scared-like, and she says to me, don't cry, little possum. Something's gonna come for us all. The great spirit gives everyone a fate. That's what she said. I guess I ain't never quite got that out of my head. (laughs) I ain't never heard of no one as afraid of snakes as Walker. I figure that Indian lady must have got inside his head. Maybe she didn't put a magic on him. I don't know. My mammy said Indians got their own gods. Lots of them. Not like us with just the big one. That's true. When I was in the army, we had this fella who was a scout and translator for us. Walks in the Wind was his name. He'd traveled among lots of tribes and knew their different talk in different ways. He knew all about Indian gods. I remember him talking about a tribe that had one for just about everything. A corn god, a rain god, a buffalo god, and they even had a snake god. You don't say. Yep. I remember like it was yesterday. Snake god's name was Yig. They believed snakes was his children. Old Yig. He's a trickster and vengeful. What's that mean? Means if you do him wrong, he's gonna get you. Yeah. This tribe would never hurt no snakes. They didn't want to make Yig mad. Bring down his curse. Yig? Uh, 
Which kind of Indians was these that worship him? Mm, can't recall the name, but they was from somewhere out here in the territories. You hush up, Joe. Gonna scare poor Walker here to death. Nothing for you to fear this time of the year. Snakes is too cold to bother no one now. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's right. The settlers parted ways the following morning. Walker put a new shoe on the mule Maisie, and soon their wagon moved on into Kickapoo country. Time we picked a spot to camp for the night, Walker. The winds are sweeping down the plain. Yep. Looks sheltered enough over there, other side of that gully. You mad, woman? We ain't gonna camp near them rocks. Everyone knows... Oh, snakes come out on the rocks to warm themselves. Well, they do. Enough, Walker. Pull yourself together. You damn near scared that Kickapoo trader half to death today. I said I was sorry. That ain't no Indian. It's Yig. It's Yig in his human form. He made me feel all nervy. That fella thought you were soft in the head. We're camping by the rocks. Uh, I'm gonna sleep up here in the wagon. Are you now? Suit yourself. Me and Wolf will sleep on the bedroll. The dog's got more common sense than you do. Whoa, now. You tie off the team. I'll get a fire going. Hand me that rifle. Come on, Wolf. Let's gather up some wood. Wolf! Go uh, oh, darn it, dog. What are you after? What you got there, boy? Oh, get back now. Shh. Oh, get back now, Wolf. Oh, there's baby rattlers. Oh, a whole mess of them. Lordy. Nope. Oh, no, you don't. No, you don't. Oh, it's all right now, Wolf. We got them all. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus, that Walker weren't here to see this. What you doing up there, Odd? Oh, never you mind. Ain't no need for you to come up here. Walker! Audrey! Nothing for you to be afraid of. They're dead now. Audrey, them's was Yig's children. A brood of baby rattlers, Walker. That's all twer. Set yourself down now. You're white as a ghost. God knows what you're gonna done to yourself, gal. A smashing a whole brood of Yig's children? He'll get you, sure. Sooner or later. Unless I can buy a charm off of some Indian medicine man. He'll get you, Aud. As sure as God in heaven. He'll come out of the night and turn you into a crawling spotted snake. The poor superstitious man. Indeed. The incident weighed heavy on the Davises through the rest of their journey. Walker kept after her with reproofs and prophecies of her impending doom. Eventually, they crossed the Canadian River and soon afterward met with the first of the real Plains Indians they had seen, a party of the Wichita tribe. Walker wasted no time in seeking the advice of a man named Gray Eagle outside of one of the domed reed huts of the Wichita. Uh, excuse me? That there feller at the trading post told me you were Mr. Gray Eagle? Yes. Um, well, that feller there, he said that you had medicine to help with Indian problems. 
See, I got some powerful fear of snakes, and I heard y'all got a snake god. And, and I thought maybe you could give me some kind of charm or, or, or spell or, or, or something so no snakes will come after me nor my wife, Audrey. Because if there's one thing I, I just can't abide, it's a creeping serpent. Hmm. Please, sir, I, I, I can pay. I, I got cash money. Sit down. What? Right here? Oh, on the ground? Sit. So, you can help me? I can teach you a song. It will bring you good fortune. But what about Yig? Will it keep him away from me? Yig, the old snake god. I have not heard his name spoken in many years. Oh, no, I, I weren't supposed to say his name. I... No, no, no. Yig is not a god of my people. Yig is a god of the Kitsawi. What's that? In the time of my grandfather. The Kitsawi was a small tribe. Their ways were not like the ways of my people. Your people are the Wichita? The white settlers call us Wichita. We call ourselves Kitikitish. Kiki Tiki Ish? Never mind. Well, what's it mean? The raccoon eyed people. Oh, I can see that now. Y'all got tattoos around here. The Kitsawi your... believed in the old gods who came from the stars. Gods who were dead but still dreamed. Yig was such a god. And what'd happen if you made Yig mad and, and if he cursed you? The sun has set on the days of the Kitsawi. So too has the sun set on the time of Yig. But I will teach you a song of the great spirit. A song to keep you safe from the sleeping gods and their children. One dollar. Well, that sounds right fair to me. The Grey Eagle taught Walker a song, ostensibly as protection from the curse. I'm not surprised. Singing is very important to the Wichita. Sacred songs to bring on the rain, songs to ensure a good hunt, that sort of thing. They'd been handed down through the generations for so long that even the Wichita themselves don't know exactly what the words in the songs mean. Fascinating. In fact, the Wichita don't claim to compose any of their songs. They say the songs exist like living things, and they come to the singer of their own accord. Hmm. Well, whatever Grey Eagle taught him, it seems to have helped ease Walker's mind. Powerful thing, the placebo effect. Less than a week after that, the Davises reached their destination and soon traced the boundaries of their homestead. Walker began the spring plowing at once, waiting until seeds were in the ground before beginning work on building a cabin. It was hard work, but within a few months, crops were growing and they could enjoy their first meal cooked in the wide, chimneyed fireplace of their newly finished cabin. Well, missus, tonight we celebrate. Cabin's finally done, and you ain't need to cook over a fire outdoors no more. Amen to that. You done a fine job here, Walker. I tell you, I couldn't have done it half so soon if it weren't for Joe Compton helping me haul in the timber. <laughs> so funny. We meet them out in the middle of nowhere, and they end up being our neighbors. I reckon he knows good land when he sees it. He traveled all over being one of them buffalo soldiers. Well, you done him a good turn, too. Helping haul the timber for him and Sally's house. It's Providence. That's what it is, missus. Here you go. 
It's the last of our whiskey, but I figure tonight we celebrate. Oh, whew. Mm. <sighs> Old Wolf here. He sure looks mighty content in front of that fireplace. <laughs> Lazy old thing. Oh, good heat coming off it. Yep. Ought to keep off the chill come winter time. And the flat stone floor ought to keep us cool in the summer. Regular fancy hotel. <laughs> uh, here, uh, give us a kiss, Audrey. <laughs> I ain't gonna kiss you. <laughs> you bring in a bucket from the well and give that face of yours a good wash. Maybe then we'll talk. Oh, now, now, a farm this size gonna take a big family to work it. Need a whole heap of young'uns. Reckon we best get started on that. <laughs> Go wash you! And then we'll see. Later in the summer, Sally Compton paid a visit to the Davis farm. Afternoon, Sally. Hey there. Oh, you brung that baby over? Sure did. Clyde, say hello to Mrs. Davis. Oh, he's beautiful. Mm, I could just eat him up. Hi, Clyde. Oh, hi, sweetness. Oh, he really likes you. I think he's already sick to death of spending time with me. <laughs> I bet he adores his mama. <laughs> Time you and Walter start raising some youngins? It ain't been for a lack of trying, Sally. Never seems to take. Oh, well, you just stick with it. The good Lord bless you, and you'll see. <laughs> oh, it's hot. Y'all want some water? No, I'm all right. Bit of a breeze picking up. Mm hmm. <laughs> sure smells sweet when the wind comes right behind the rain. <laughs> you figure I can trouble you for some sugar? Joe'll be making a trip up to El Reno on Tuesday, and I can pay you back then. Don't you worry about it. What's mine's yours. Walker's not about. He ain't far. <gasps> Shh, just listen. What's that he's singing? Oh, he paid some Indian to teach him this song to scare off snakes. Does it work? Who can say? Walker's singing would scare the good Lord himself. Still, I could have strangled your Joe for bringing up that Indian god, Yig. <laughs> Walker's obsessed about Yig. Sorry. Man's got pudding between his ears. Well, way I see it, no snakes bit him yet, has it? Nope. Then I guess it's working. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of snakes, I did hear the most terrible story. Well, don't tell it to Walker. You bet your life I won't. You know, Jenny Rigby, on the farm down below the crook in the river? She'd been to see her cousin in Scott County, and her cousin told her of this fella who was clearing a stump. Well, he pries the thing up and then loses his footing, and he falls. He lands smack on top of a whole herd of rattlers. They lit into him and bit him all over. Must have bit him 50 times. Oh, dear Lord. By the time they found him, all the poison made his body swell up so big. He, he popped. <gasps> he didn't. Just busted right on open. That's what Jenny's cousin told her. Oh, that's horrible. Now, please don't say nothing to Walker about that. Ask your Joe not to say nothing neither. My lips are sealed. 
Come on inside. Let me get you that sugar. In August, Walker made the trip to Newcastle, the nearest town, where he sought out its hastily constructed trading post. Howdy there. Howdy. Don't know you. I'm Lafayette Smith. This here's my place. Walker Davis. Good to know you. Lafayette. That a foreign name? French. Oh. The name's French, but I was born in Virginia. My mother had a bit of a crush on the Marquis de Lafayette ever since she saw him speak in Charlotte back in 1830. Gilbert de Mortier, Marquis de Lafayette. That's his full name. <laughs> How about that? Davis. You on the place out past the Comptons? That I am. Me and the missus, Audrey. Came out in the boom? Yes, sir. How you all making out there? Cabins up, crops in the ground. Don't reckon I should complain. Suppose not. What can I get for you? <laughs> the missus read up a list so as I won't forget. <laughs> Smart woman. Let me see here. Yeah, I got all this except the ten-penny nails. Sold the last batch to some Indians this morning. Did you? I haven't seen any Wichita's around here. They ain't Wichita's. These folks is called the Kitsawi. They live up off the North Fork. Wait, what tribe are they? Kitsawi. A small tribe. Can't be more than a couple dozen of them. You all right? Uh, yeah. Uh, maybe I'll come back for my order. Where'd you say these Kitsawi lived? Walker rode up the river to where he saw a small group of dome-shaped huts. An old woman stood alone at the end of the path. I knew you would come. Me? Why? <laughs> You've been looking for me. I don't... I, I mean, I, I just heard about... You bear his mark. Faint. But I can see it. Whose mark? Yig. I do. Mm. You do. It weren't my fault. I weren't even there. My wife, this spring, she done kill a whole brood of baby rattlers. Yig's children. Even I got Yig's mark, my Audrey must have it twice as bad. Yig is a great god. His memory is long. He does not forget. Men, we are the children of Tirawa. But snakes, they are the children of Yig. It is bad that your wife has killed his children. I know, but now it's too late. What can I do? Give yourself to Yig in offering. Give myself? What, you mean like, kill myself off? Hmm. Um... Ain't there nothing else? Yig will take his revenge. No. The time of the harvest comes. Gray Eagle, he, he's a Wichita, um, that them raccoon-eyed people, he, he taught me a charm to... <laughs> Yig is wise to the ways of men. Uh, no. The children of Yig will be hungry. The Kitsawi, we give sacrifices, dance and drum to keep Yig away. We ask Tirawa to protect us, his children, and the children of Yig. Could you ask this Tirawa to protect us, too? Tirawa does not change a man's fate. 
Yig is a great god. He does not forget things. So the Katsawi were real. And this curse, it really was part of their beliefs. I've been trying for years to find corroborating evidence of this Yig legend. Shall I continue then? Uh, please. The summer gave way to fall. Walker and Audrey worked fiercely to gather their harvest and prepare for the winter that was to come. Maybe out of habit, Walker continued to chant Grey Eagle's song. God's sake, Walker! What? Stop it with that gibbering! Tain't a gibbering. I'm trying to appease Yig for what you done to his children. Enough already. You, this heat, the wind, those drums, I have had it. I'm fed up to hear. You hear drums? You'd hear them if you weren't doing that Indian muttering all the time. Them's the drums that keep Yig away. The old Kitsawi woman said so. Hush up about you and your damned Yig. That ain't no good way to talk about a god. Yig is... One more word about Yig and I'm gonna knock you all the way to Kansas. All right, all right. Sheesh. I brung in water from the well. Set the pail in the kitchen. And no more of that Indian chanting. Yes, dear. Hey, Aud. What? I've been thinking. That's a change for you. Now, be nice now. I've been thinking, Aud. Maybe it's high time we ought to celebrate. Celebrate? Yeah. The house is built, wells dug, crops is in. We gone from living in that old wagon to having a real home. You mean like fun? Well? What's the date? It'll be November come Sunday. Well, that's it then. What? Halloween's a-coming. I say we throw ourselves a Halloween party. Halloween? We invite Joe and Sally and folks from the farms all round over. Young'uns can put on guises. I'll make soul cakes. You'll spit roast a pig and folks can bring potluck. Well, I, I, I suppose. Maybe even some music. Well, yeah, I, I guess, if and you like. <laughs> if I like? Walker Davis, I figure this is about the best danged idea you ever had. <laughs> Reports said the weather turned cold, damp, and windy on October 31st. But Walker still managed to keep a pit burning as neighbors arrived for the festivities. So I says with kernels like that, I'd hate to see the size of his car. <laughs> Gracious! Oh, here, Sally, have some more punch. <laughs> Audrey, the little ones is ready. I got the soul cakes. Bring them all round, Jenny. So, everyone, the children are gonna come round and show off their Halloween guises. Oh, oh, hush now, you old thing. This is just the children. Oh, Sarah May, (laughs) aren't you the scariest witch I ever done seen? Here's your soul cake. Thank you, ma'am, but I'm Emma Jean, not Sarah May. Right, Sarah May, I I see you've got a crown. Who? I'm Queen Victoria. Here's your soul cake, your majesty. (laughs) Oh, and what are you, darling? Are you a kitty cat? I'm a mountain lion. (laughs) (laughs) Quick, Audrey, throw that cougar a soul cake. Oh, I can't be sure now. Look at you five. 
You know, the Rigby's have five children, but all I see here is a bunny rabbit. Oh, the devil. President Lincoln. Oh, might you be Captain Nemo? And, uh, what are you, honey? I'm flat. Stack of flapjacks. Quick, somebody get the butter. <laughs> Soon all the neighbors' children had paraded past, and the weary homesteaders had a night to kick up their heels. Sure is nice to see the wee ones having a good time, Joe. Yes, sir. <laughs> Say, what you got in that valise, Lafayette? Ain't no valise. This here's a fiddle case. A fiddle? You gonna play for us all? <laughs> we'll see what comes out of her tonight. What do you have for me, darling? Say, <laughs> 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 Seamus, I couldn't help but notice you got a jug there. The way I sees it, Tom. First thing you need, after a while, is a whiskey stick. You mean? Pushing. Moonshine. Here, wet your whistle. Ah, uh, go easy, die. This batch is kind of mean-spirited. <laughs> Leave some for me, Tom. Oh, boy. Oh, 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 you. oh dear Lord. <laughs> I tried to warn you now, Jenny. Did you? You get enough to eat? Walker's got more on the fire. Can't manage another bite, Audrey, but let's see. If you've got to drop more of that punch. (laughs) It's in the kitchen. You just wait right here. (laughs) (gasps) Oh, Lordy. What's wrong? Oh, this. Newt, for Pete's sake, I told you not be sneaking up on folks. Sorry, Audrey. It's just my boy Newt and his Halloween guys. I'm a you... you sure are. His mama helped fashion him this here snake, guys. Uh, take that mask off, boy. It's, um... <clears throat> it's a very good guys, Newt. Thank you, ma'am. You know what snakes like most to eat? What's that? Your soul. Your soul! Soul cakes! Please, good missus. Apple, pear, plum, or cherry, any good thing to make us merry. One for Peter, two for Paul, and three for him who made us all. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The other children ate up all the soul cakes. You could still bob for apples, and there's whorehound candy. Uh Uh-oh. Snakes don't like whorehound candy. Now there will be mischief. Newt! Sorry, Audrey. Don't mind him. He's an odd one. Newt! Now you put that down! Stay away from the fire! Hey, give us a song, Lafayette. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Something for Halloween. Halloween, eh? Let's see what you think of this. It's an old reel I learned off my granddaddy. Out back of the house, other traditions of the evening were observed. Declan, have you seen that Stillman boy run through here? He was dressed up as a snake. No, Mom. He's not been here. I don't want Mr. Walker to... Hey, what are y'all doing out here? My daddy's carving up a turnip. <laughs> what do you want to go and do that for? He's carving the devil's face to ward off any evil spirits. Look. <laughs> Poor little creature. It's nice, isn't it, Mrs. Walker? How's that? To have a night, you know, where we just have a bit of a laugh. Ah, sir, your American Halloween, it's a bit of an old card and a bit of crack. Not like it was in the old world. 
Samhain, the night we welcomed the dark half of the year. It wasn't just a laugh and a nip of pudding. There was something to it. Well, but... Uh... Listen to your old man now. Samhain's the night when the barrier between our world and the spirit world is thinnest. The night when spirits of the dead could cross over and have a ward with the living. The night you're most like to hear the rumble of the puka changing his shape whenever he like, or the wail of the banshee. The night when the wee folk, the fairies, they'd... Hey, who's there? Newt! What have you got there, Jimmy Jack? I, I picked this here pumpkin. I bet you could cut it into a real scary shape. A, a pumpkin, eh? Never carved one of them. Bring it here. Let's give it a try. As the night wore on, a pile of children ended up asleep on the Davis's bed, while the adults gathered around the fire outside. <laughs> hey, hey, any y'all know a ghost story? That'd be perfect. All spooky light around the fire. Walker, these folks don't need no... Oh, come on now. How about you, Big Jim? <laughs> well, now there's a story I heard down in Texas. Is this the one with, uh, you know, what? And, and he, uh... <laughs> yep. Well, come on now. Let's hear it. <laughs> now, now, this is a true story. It happened down in San Antonio right after the Mexican War. It seems this fella came to town by the name of Cassius Calhoun. He were a, a captain from the army, a mean and arrogant as could be, a real low-down, dirty snake of a man. <laughs> they said he killed horse thieves just for fun, and once he cut off the head of a man and propped that headless body in the saddle and sent the poor horse riding around the countryside as a warning to anybody else who might have the mind to steal a horse. <laughs> Well, now, he hadn't been in San Antonio more than a day or two when he sets his eyes on Louise, the prettiest gal in the whole county. Well, young Mr. Calhoun figured he was just going to have to marry her. And the problem was, seems Miss Louise was the secret sweetheart of another suitor. And this feller were Maurice Mustanger from Ireland. Mustanger? What the hell kind of Irish name is that? (laughs) 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 Well, you see, it was the name he got for what he did, for old Maurice was about the best horseman in South Texas and made a, a speciality of wrangling wild Mustangs. So they called him... Mustanger. <laughs> well, that's all right then. <laughs> Go on, Jim. Now, now, Louise and Maurice, they carried on in secret because Louise's father, old, old Mr. Poindexter, uh, he didn't approve no Irish horseman for his daughter. Hey, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it turns out that old Poindexter's pretty you know, high and mighty, and he don't approve of Calhoun's reputation neither, West Point notwithstanding. So... Mean old Calhoun gets a brainstorm on how he can get rid of both his obstacles at once. Oh, that snake, he up and sneaks in one night and murders poor old Poindexter and leaves behind the Mustanger's gun. So, so Maurice, well, he gets the blame. Well, poor Miss Louise, she has her heart broke twice over and Calhoun, he tries to slither his way into the gap in her affections. Now, Mustanger, he, he has friends that know he didn't do no murder, but all the same, San Antonio's crying out for justice. And Maurice finds himself caught by the long arm of the law. And next thing he knows, he's at the gallows fixing to hang. Oh, Miss Louise was there, weeping bitter tears. 
And Calhoun, well, he's there too, gloating, because his scheme's going just as planned. Now, the leader of the posse, he allows us Maurice can say a final word or two, and, and the Mustanger calls on the spirit of the dead man to appear and vindicate him. Well, it seems a pretty desperate gamble, but it's a passionate speech. And what do you suppose comes out of the shadows of the trees? A huge rider mounted on a huge horse, his eyes blazing with fire. Well, the assembly was quite startled by this apparition, as you might expect, but, but none more than Calhoun himself. He, he cried out in terror, but the rider just silently pointed at him. The other men stepped back, and the rider reared up on his great black horse, ripped off his own head, and, and threw it right at the terrified captain. Well, coward Calhoun broke down in fear and confessed to, to every murder he ever done and, and begged for mercy. And Miss Louise just fainted dead away. <laughs> no, no, it ain't done yet. Well, now, and now once the doctor took hold of the lady and, and the posse put the hanging rope on Calhoun and carried him away to jail, well, that rider suddenly grew a new head. It was Maurice's friend, old Zeb Stump, cloaked and riding Maurice's prize Mustang that tricked the confession out of Calhoun. The head he threw was a shattered pumpkin now now burning in the fire. Well, Zeb and Mustanger laughed in triumph, and, and they turned around to go back to the Poindexter Ranch and to the fair lady. But on the darkest part of the ride, they heard the clatter of hooves behind him in a full gallop. Now, not one to be easily frightened, Maurice wheeled his horse round, and on the road, charging towards him was a satanic specter come straight from hell, riding a, a giant horse. And this rider, this rider truly had no head. The ghostly steed and rider together galloped straight through them and off into the night. Well, Zeb Stump lit out and was never seen again. And poor Miss Louise never recovered from her fright. By the next morning, Maurice Mustanger's hair had turned stark white, cursed for his impudence by the real headless horseman. That gives me the willies every time. But that never really happened. May God strike me dead. <laughs> <laughs> Give us another one. Now, Walker. Oh, come on now. Let's have another. Uh, who's got a story? Uh, I suppose I do. <laughs> my story's not like that one, though. It's something that really, really happened. I mean, to me. Back in Ireland when I was a girl. Go on, Maggie. So me grand lived off in a wee village, a place called Finney. So wee, it didn't even have a pub, you know. After 47, there wasn't hardly anyone left there. But it was her home and she just wasn't going anywhere. Now me grand, she got to that age where, well, you know how it can be for some of the old ones. She just sit in front of her fire, staring into the coals. And you'd think... That'd be about as lonely a life as you could have. But me gran, she saw faces in the coals. She saw them clear as could be. And she talked to them. And they'd talk right back to her. Tell her things. She'd say, hard rains are coming tomorrow. 
I'd say, oh, I, Gran, how do you know? And she'd point into the fire and she'd say, your man with a lopsidey moustache told me. <laughs> We'd have a bit of a laugh. But the thing was, she'd make these prognostications and most of the time she'd be spot on. This one year, she told us Yellowbonnet was going to win the big horse race up in Lanon. And don't you know, she came in first place. We asked Gran how she knew, and she pointed to the fire, and she said, Ah, you're one with a scarf and the frizzy hair told me. And you know, with all these faces in the coal, she sort of had, well, you know, it was like she had her own lot of friends. Even so, me mum liked to check in on her every couple of days, and this one day she took me with her to see Gran. And it was a fair walk, you know. So we get there. And me mum was going to bake Gran a loaf of bread, only she didn't have any buttermilk. So me mum says, come on now, Gran, let's walk over to the McCullough's and fetch some buttermilk. But Gran says she can't, as the man with the cart and the girl with the cat are coming to take her home. You know, they were people she'd seen in the fire. So me mum sends me to the McCullough's and I come back with the buttermilk. And then I ask her if I can go out and play, you know, while she's making the soda bread and all. She says aye and off I go. So, not far out back, behind Grants, there's this old ferry road that led up to a rath and... What's that? A ferry road? Ah, there are these old wee paths that cut here and there all over Ireland. But they were made... Oh, I don't know when. But they were made by the fairies. And this one led up to this rath. Sort of like the ruins of a real old fort from the Stone Age or the Bronze Age or... Some age or another. But it was a grand place to play. And you could usually find something interesting there. Only this day, there was this girl there. And she says to me, I'm Eva. Do you want to play? So we had a grand old time running about. You know, girl fun, just messing about. So um, it got to be time when the bread would be done and me mum would be wondering where I was. So I says me goodbye to Aoife and head back down the ferry path. And I'm about halfway back to Grants and I look back and I can see Aoife way off by the wrath and she reaches down and picks up this great big black cat, a huge one, which was odd, you know, because I hadn't seen about when we were playing. And so I make it Back near Grand's, and then I see this old fellow with a donkey cart heading down the road, which was kind of odd too, as you'd hardly ever see something like that in Grand's village anymore. And so I go inside, and I can tell right away something's wrong. And I say, what is it, Mum? And she looks over at Gran, and I knew right then she'd, I mean, well, she She'd passed over, you know, died. And so I told Mum about Aoife and the cat and the old fellow with the donkey cart I'd just seen, and I pulled her outside because, of course, he'd still be there since, you know, they were going real slow. But we get outside, and there was no one there anywhere. He'd gone, you know. So... So I don't know. Later, at the wake, I went up to Mrs. McCullough and I asked her. Asked her about the girl up in the wrath, you know, Eva. She said she never heard of a girl be that name anywhere around there. So, 
you know. Anyway, that's me story. It was grand, Mrs. Oh, looks like our fiddler's nodded off here. <laughs> that's quite a story, Maggie. And those awful drums. Well, I, I suppose we all... I've seen something, too. What's that, Joe? I've seen something. When I was in the cavalry. Oh, something strange? Go, go on, Joe. Tell us. You, you sure about this, Joe? Some of y'all maybe don't know, but I was in the Army. The 9th Cavalry. We fought the Indian Wars out west. Our unit, we'd been sent all the way up to Fort Abraham Lincoln in the Dakota Territory. Got there in the wintertime. Seems that the year before, something happened out west at a place called Little Bighorn. I know that. That's the place where Custer's massacre happened. That's the place. Well, Uncle Sam's war department wasn't going to let something like that happen again. So they sent us up that way. Word was, it was a band of the Arapaho that the army figured was getting ready to make an attack against our men. And somebody, probably some general in an office back in Washington, figured we should strike first. You know, get them before they could get us. So we had our orders. And we rode out west into the Montana Territory. We had scouts. Indians on our side who knew who these Arapaho was. Once they led us near where they was, we got our orders. The sergeant came to me. Sergeant Washburn with my orders. The plan was the main cavalry unit was going to ride in toward where the Indian camp was. They'd attack the camp from the east, but we were going to send a second, smaller group of men to circle out round the camp and come in from the northwest, from behind them. That was me and my men. We was... We was to round them up. The women and the old folks and the children disarm them, and then hold them as hostages in case things went bad. I I know what you're thinking, and I was thinking the same thing. I didn't join the United States Cavalry to be rounding up women and old men. But let me tell you, when Uncle Sam tells you to do something, you do it. You do it, or you get the lash, or the stockade, or... Worse. We had our orders. It was me and five other men and our scout. A fella called Walks in the Wind. I liked him. He knew the ways of lots of different tribes, spoke a lot of their languages. He seemed troubled about this assignment. I thought it was because of the weather. It was snowing like hell, so we rode out early. We were supposed to get to the Indian camp about the same time when our main unit was coming at him from the east. If we got there too early, we'd spook them, and if we got there too late, we couldn't do no good. So we ride out, and eventually, we end up on this ridge up above where the Indian camp was. The snow's still coming down, and we can just barely make out smoke from their camp. And we have to wait there until it's time. Walks in the wind. He had this look on his face. And I asked him what's wrong. He tells me, He doesn't think it's good for us to do this. I tried to explain that orders are orders and our men weren't gonna hurt nobody. 
but just make sure they don't have any weapons to attack our men. I knew he weren't happy with that, but, you know. So finally, I look at my watch, and it's about time, and I tell the boys. Walks in the wind, rides up next to me, and leans in close, and he whispers something. By then, I'd heard Sue and Crow and Blackfoot, but this wasn't nothing like that. And then he reaches out and touches me with his finger on both cheeks, and then holds up his finger, and I see it's cut, and there's blood on the tip. He says, you are marked. You will see. I still don't understand what he's trying to tell me, but it's time. And the other men set out for the village, and I follow them. It was snowing like hell. And right off the bat, I lost sight of the others. I rolled on toward where I'd seen the smoke from the Indian fires. As I got in close, I could tell something was wrong. None of them were running or shouting or nothing. They were just going about their business. A pair of women tasting food they were cooking over the fire. This old man playing with this boy. A little fella, maybe two or three. He was just laughing. All of them, they were just regular folks, living their lives. I slowed my horse down to a walk, and not a one of them ever looked up at me. I went clear through that camp, and it was like they couldn't even see me, like I wasn't even there. I didn't understand what was happening and looked round for my men, but couldn't see hide nor hair of them. It was just quiet, wind and snow. Then I heard a sound, a cavalry bugle off to the east. And finally, I could make out a couple of cavalrymen headed my way. I looked back at the Indian camp and they were all dead. Just bodies falling in the snow. Something terrible had happened. A second before, they were fine. But now, nobody was moving and the snow was settling on their bodies. Blotches of red soaking through it here and there. The tents had all been burned. I could smell gun smoke. There were hoof prints everywhere in the snow now, where riders had galloped through. I figured I must be dreaming, right? Some kind of nightmare? But the sergeant, he rides up next to me and says, We thought we'd lost you out there. I couldn't find words, and my horse just walked back through the camp. He followed me. We had orders. Brass said no prisoners. I looked down just to my left and seen one of the bodies. It was clutching something in its arms. It was that old man. And, well, you know. I don't know if they was ghosts I'd seen or... Maybe I'd been the ghost moving among them. But now I was alive, and they was dead. Maybe it was because walks in the wind marked me. Maybe he saved me from being part of it. Maybe he cursed me to have to remember it. I don't know. Oh, Joe. All I know is I'd had enough of life in Uncle Sam's army. I'm sorry. That wasn't no kind of story to be telling at no party. Ah, you're all right now, Joe. Well, 
I reckon it's time we sort out these young uns and, uh, and, and folks head on home. Jenny, give me a hand here. Help me gather a bunch. I fire yet? Come on now, wake up. Party's over. Soon, the neighboring families were packed up and riding on back to their own farms, and the Davises were left alone. Oh, Odd, that were about the swellest time I ever did have. <laughs> you hear them scary stories, and it makes a body seem his own fears don't amount to much after all. <laughs> sort of gets it out of your system. <laughs> oh, go on, you. You're drunk. Oh, when are they going to stop beating them damn drums? <laughs> Gotta keep old Yig at bay. <laughs> oh, hey, 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 do you see that Stillman boy with his snake guys? <laughs> you, you saw that? Oh, my, he hissed at me. <laughs> Gave me a good laugh, that queer little nipper. <laughs> uh, oh, come on, Wolf, you lazy old beast. It's oh, downright chilly tonight. Go grab one of them logs for the fireplace inside. Uh, I don't know about you, but I am done for. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we'll clean up in the morning. Uh, Come on now, let's get to bed, you. Oh, you know, we should have a Halloween party every year. (laughs) You'll soon appreciate that some conjecture was involved in piecing out all that happened after the guests left. (gasps) Hush, woman, you're a dreamer. Oh, damn you. It was that snake god of yours. Look like that engraving of Satan we seen in that church and... Hush, now, oh, don't you hear something singing and buzzing and rustling? I reckon it's the fall cricket. I don't hear... Walker? Suppose it's a... The... The... Curse of Yig after all? <laughs> well, look who took them stories to heart. <laughs> Uh, from what old Grey Eagle says, that Mr. Yig is shaping like a man, except you look at him close. This here's just some varmints coming out of the cold crickets or some such. Don't you worry. Uh, well, I ought to get up and stomp them out before they make much headway or get at the cupboard. Ah! 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 My God, Walker. Oh, there's... Thousands of them! (gasps) Good God, man! The curse! Ah, there's more to it. After Walker fainted, Audrey was paralyzed with fear. She fell back on her pillow, hoping to wake from a nightmare. But Walker was no longer beside her, and she'd been unable to help him. He died by snakes, just as the Indian woman predicted when he was a boy. Wolf never even roused from his senile stupor, and Audrey was left with no thought other than that the crawling things were coming for her. This must be the curse of Yig, sending out his chillin' on All Hallows' Night. Oh, saw when, when the living are like to meet the dead. 
Why'd they have to take Walker? He never did nothing wrong. I, I were the one that killed them little rattlers. Walker said Yig weren't gonna kill me. Just turn me to a spotted snake. Oh! That song. How'd it go? The poor woman's mind must have been pushed to its very limits. The snakes were taking a long time to get to her. Every now and again she'd feel the steady, insidious pressure of something slithering on the bedclothes. But each time it turned out to be nothing more than the twitching of her own overwrought nerves. And slowly her thinking began to change. No. No, these ain't no messengers from Hig. Oh, just some rattlers nested below the rock, drawn out by the fire. Oh, they ain't coming for me. Oh, maybe Walker scared him off. Maybe, maybe he's all right. But any fleeting notion of hope was snuffed out. At the thought of her husband's body lying there in the pitch blackness, a thrill of purely physical horror passed over Audrey as she recalled Sally's story about the man in Scott County. Bitten by innumerable rattlesnakes, the poison rotted the flesh and swelled the whole corpse, and in the end, the bloated thing had burst horribly. Burst horribly with a detestable popping noise. Was that what was happening to Walker down there on the rock floor? Uh, no! Oh, damned clock! Dawn's gotta be coming afore long. Uh, I don't want to see it. Oh, Sally will come round. Somebody will come round. Oh. It stopped. Thank the Lord. The Indian drumming. Walker said it kept Yig away. And if the drums have stopped, only one way to know for sure. Moon's gone down. Oh my god. The bloating. The rupture. That really happens? Oh my, yes. It was too much for poor Audrey. Did she faint? If only. Go away, snake devil! Go away, Yig! No! No! Stay away from me! Something was coming for her, and she snapped, changing at once from cowering child to raging madwoman. She knew where the axe was hung on the wall on pegs near the lantern. You can't take me, devil! No! So she lived? Uh, she was found? Was it ever explained? Yes, she lived, in a way. And it was explained. I told you there was no bewitchment, only cruel, pitiful, material horror and the power of stories we tell ourselves. It was the Comptons, the devoted neighbors who came upon the scene the following afternoon. 
Whoa there, Toby. What's wrong? It's just the Davises. No smoke in the chimney? Queer. Audrey ought to have something cooking by now. Come on. Wolf, where are you, boy? Walker? Party mess still everywhere. Looks like they're still in bed. <laughs> Walker was looking pretty lit last night. I bet he kept her up all hours. <laughs> <laughs> Audrey? It's Sally and Joe. Uh, Audrey? I, I'm coming in. What is it? Sally! What was it? In the shadows of the cabin were three disturbing sights. Near the burned-out fireplace was the old dog, Wolf. Its bare patches of skin were purple with decay, and the whole carcass burst by swelling brought on by rattlesnake poison. It had apparently been bitten by a veritable legion of reptiles. Oh! To the right of the door were the axe-hacked remnants of what had been a man, clad in a nightshirt and with the shattered remains of a lantern clutched in one hand. He showed no signs of any snake bites. Near him lay the axe, carelessly discarded. Walker? Oh, dear God, she... And wriggling, flat on the floor, was a loathsome, vacant-eyed thing that had been a woman but was now only a mute, mad caricature. All that this thing could do was to hiss and hiss and hiss. The curse of Yig. Oh, no. Brandy? Please. So Walker only fainted that first time. Her screams roused him, and then she... Yes. But he met his death from snakes, just as the old Indian woman had predicted when he was a boy. It was his fear working in two ways. It made him faint, and it made him fill his wife with the wild stories that caused her to strike out when she thought she saw the snake devil. And Audrey, it's as if... as if the curse of Yig was actually carried out. Oh, well, I suppose one could look at it that way, if one was inclined to superstition. But as I say, there's certainly a more reasonable and scientific interpretation of the facts. Uh, what do you mean? The placebo effect can bring relief, but it can also be a double-edged sword. Those hissing snakes must have been fairly ground into her. It was too much for her sanity to bear. Mm. She had lucid spells at first but they became fewer and fewer as time went on. Her hair turned white at the roots as it grew and later began to fall out. The skin grew blotchy, and when she died... Died? I, I don't understand. If she's... What was that thing downstairs? That, Mr. Kimball, is what was born to her three-quarters of a year afterward. There were three more of them. Two were even worse. But this is the only one that lived. <laughs> you are right there, son. I... Uh, You're pale. Here, put your head down between your knees. Take a few deep breaths. No, no, you don't understand. Don't understand what? I was there. 
doing field research, Caddo County near Newcastle. The Kitsawi, they're all wiped out now. So? We'd pitched a tent, and I'd gone to gather wood for a fire. In the grass, I found... Oh, no. A nest of baby snakes. I didn't know. I just, you know, with my boot, till I'd killed them. All of them. I didn't know they were... Yig is a great god. He does not forget things. You've been listening to The Curse of Yig, brought to you by Beckwith's Mentholated Sensen Gum. Sanitary packs make the perfect Halloween treat for the tricksters who ring your doorbell this season. Until next week, this is Lester Mayhew reminding you to never go anywhere alone. If it looks bad, don't look, and save the last bullet for yourself. The Curse of Yig was adapted for radio and produced by Sean Branny and Andrew Lehman, based on the story by H.P. Lovecraft and Zelia Bishop. Original music by Troy Sterling Neese and Reber Clark. Fiddle music played by Nancy Quo. The Dark Adventure Ensemble featured Amir Abdullah, Leslie Baldwin, Sean Branny, Casey Camp, Ken Clement, Mike Dallager, Elu Grace, McCarran Kelly, Andrew Lehman, Jacob Lyle, Barry Lynch, Johnny McKenna, Grinnell Morris, David Paveo, Josh Temke, Sarah Vanderpoel, and Time Winters. Tune in next week for The Phantom of the Sausage Mill, a gruesome tale of gourmet grindings. Dark Adventure Radio Theater is a production of the HPLHS Broadcasting Group, a subsidiary of HPLHS Incorporated, copyright 1931. Plus 89.